All right. That was the song Nora by the band KFK playing us in today. This is Zach Goggins, your host of Goggins and Friends, wanting to welcome you to episode one of this new podcast. Now, I've had the chance to meet a lot of incredible people throughout my time on this earth. A lot. And I've learned so much from them. So I was thinking, what's better than just me getting to know these people, but for all of you to get to know them as well? So throughout this podcast, I'll be having on multiple people I've either gotten to know or gotten to learn about and really wanted to know to talk about their stories and the lessons that they've learned along the way. Today, we have a real treat as Cheryl Sypik sat down with me to talk about her life as a chief information officer. For those IT leaders listening, Cheryl will be talking about the challenges facing CIOs today, lessons that she learned across her career, going from programmer all the way to CIO, all the way to retirement, recommendations she has for CIOs wanting to get better, and how IT leaders can improve their business acumen. Cheryl is a phenomenal woman and has a wealth of knowledge, so I'll let you all jump right in and enjoy. Cheryl, for those who don't know you, love for you to just open up and introduce yourself. Tell us a little about who you are, what you're up to now, as well as the big recent purchase that, that you just made that you sent me a picture about a few weeks ago. <laughs> okay. So I'm Cheryl Sipek. Um, I've been uh, in healthcare primarily for my entire career. A few detours into, I guess, the insurance industry and, and um, a few other places, uh, but primarily spent my time um, doing healthcare work on the technology side, obviously, as a CIO. Uh, worked at several health systems, Cape Cod Healthcare in Massachusetts some others in Massachusetts, as well as most recently Chapters Health System, in, um, which is based in Tampa, Florida, the headquarters, um, but really spread out over many, many counties in Florida. And so uh, recently retired in uh, January. Uh, still can't, I, that word does not come out of my mouth easily, so it's a little strange. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the most recent purchase that Zach is referring to is uh, an uh, RV with um, a Jeep Wrangler that gets towed behind it. Pretty fun. Um, and actually getting ready to leave next week for a um, five to six week trip. So should be fun. Yeah, absolutely. And that's going to be the first big long trip that you guys are taking on the RV, right? Correct. It should be very interesting. There you go. Just, nice. just my husband and I and three dogs in 32 feet of RV. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like heaven. Now, what are some mm -hmm. of your go-to road tunes when you're cruising down the highway? Oh, gosh. Well, uh, always, always um, go to the country playlist, I would say. Um, <laughs> Uh, and and if you're driving with my husband, Earth, Wind, and Fire definitely comes into into play. Um, and uh, he has this I don't know many many hours long playlist that we always seem to to play and and try to figure out who you know guess who it is singing the song because half the time I don't know. So, um, but I like I like some good country music. There you go. For sure. Nice. Sounds like a good a good yin and yang with the country music and yeah. the fire. A lot of variety, so that'll yes. keep things interesting for sure. Exactly. Awesome. Very cool. We'll have a safe trip, five to six Thank weeks. You. You're going up to see your kids, right? Yes. Uh, family in uh, Connecticut, Vermont, and Massachusetts. Nice. So, 
Very cool. Well, it sounds That'd like you've got some, some good music to guide you along the way. And I know that the pups, is, pups are going to keep you busy on the road too. Oh, yes. <laughs> awesome. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much again for taking the time to go through this. I think this is really going to help out a lot of people. And this is the first time that we've done something like this. So I'm excited to jump in. So, you know, I know, you know I'm happy to be here. Well, I know that we talked a little bit about some, about some of your experiences in the past and as someone who throughout your career, you've been CIO at multiple different types of organizations. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine throughout the course of your career, you've noticed some similarities going from organ to organization to organization as CIO, but I'd imagine you've also seen a few differences too along your path. Mm -hmm. So just to start, what are some of the differences in the CIO roles that you've held for say a large academic health system versus a nonprofit community health system? Right. Well, so all of my career I spent uh, working for nonprofits, community health systems, some larger than others, some smaller, some focused on acute care, some on non-acute. Um, one of the things I always uh, would talk about colleagues with is how different a lot of the CIOs that you see in the if I said trade rags, you'd say, what do you mean, you know, out on the internet doing video <laughs> blogs and, and that kind of thing. A lot of them are from, you know, large academic medical centers. And even when I went to the Chime Boot Camp, which was great, and I highly recommend it, you know, I saw very different types of CIOs perhaps leading the education versus the CIOs in the audience, you know. And primarily, I think that one of the greatest differences, you might think it's, um, the scope would be much broader in an academic health system versus these, you know, other uh, community-based health systems. And that, that's probably tr partly true in the sense that they have a lot of demands from research and, you know, from physician groups and, and that type of thing. So sure, that, that scope might be a little broader, but really where I saw the difference was that we had many or most or all of the same complexities in our smaller health systems, uh, regardless if you were, you know, a couple of small hospitals or medium-sized hospitals or large hospitals with home health, hospice, ambulatory physician practices, all, you know, all of those types of things, but you typically had fewer resources to manage it and handle it. And so, you know, a CIO never just did strategy. I always said, you know, I always said that wouldn't it be great to have a job where you could really focus on the business, focus on the strategy, focus on digital transformation, um, you know, those kinds of things, when in reality, significant portion of your job is spent, um, yes, all of those things, plus the operations of running an IT department. I would say most CIOs in that arena are much deeper into um, the day-to-day -day details of, you know, managing the customer support function for your end users, um, you know, technology infrastructure, cybersecurity, you know, I mean, all of those things, um, and obviously picking the solutions and implementing the solutions, you're very deeply involved in, along with being responsible for being a, a key leader in the executive team you know, senior leadership and also making sure your, your strategy is aligned with the organizational strategy. So I think for me, those were the biggest differences were that it's a different type of scope, broader in the sense that you're 
hands are in everything from strategy down to operations management um, and dealing with some of the complex issues of working with physicians and that type of thing. And definitely not just focused on, you know, looking at the strategy for the organization. So that's, that's my perspective. You know, I, I think there's a lot of value in that and being close uh, to some of those operations, but also, you know, very challenging for the CIOs that work in that space. Yeah. Challenging how so? You know, I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, managing your time as a, as a CIO and, and uh, how you do that and how you do it successfully. Literally jumping from, you know, a half day strategic planning session with your senior leadership team and into, you know, helping a team align themselves or strategize or partner with their software vendor um, and coming up with strategies to to do that effectively. I think it's challenging because you're moving between those arenas, you know. I mean, I always said that, you know, you're a part, your your team as a CIO is the is the senior leadership team. You know, you sit at that table with the CFO or the COO or, you know, who, whoever it is from the the business leadership of the organization and you're part of that team but you have to lead your team which is highly specialized in many areas and also understand the business and be able to help that team understand the business and you know i think that that's one of the roles in an organization um, the cio role that has to know the business across the board and in this case in healthcare the clinical side of it as well Obviously, I can't say I wasn't a nurse. I wish I was a nurse. Um, but I could, so, you know, but I had to be able to sit down with a nurse and talk about things that were critical and important to them that I certainly didn't go to school for, you know. So it's challenging from that perspective to, to be able to cover that scope, I guess, all of the technology scope while understanding the business. And that's the same for any CIO. Got it. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. And it sounds like such just a, a whirlwind of just what a, I would say an eight hour workday, but I know CIOs and the, the next CIO that I, that I meet that's working eight hours a day will be the first because their work days are much, much longer than that. But the whirlwind of going from a executive level strategic meeting, building out what the company's strategy and business plan is going to be to the next half hour or hour talking about an IT support issue that needs to be addressed and then mm-hmm. jumping to a vendor call where you've got to make a decision on what technology your company is going to go through. Just the, the mental gymnastics that you have to go through and shifting your mindsets going through all three of those different types of meetings. And those are just a few examples, just very, mm-hmm. very incredible. And the CIOs that you know we know and that you know and just you, you, that they deserve a lot. Of, they deserve a lot of credit for being able to handle that for such extended periods of time. I I truly admire my former colleagues. You know the people that do this job in really in any industry. I think, but I do think that healthcare CIOs have a have a um, a special place in this world because of the the type of work that they do and um, how they're they're generally driven not just to uh, support the 
other employees that they work with and in the organization, whether they're a clinician or somebody in the back office, but also to try to make things better for patients. Having been on, on the patient side, but as a caregiver, you know, for, for my parents when they were in hospice or when they were in the hospital or anything like that, you know, fortunately not for myself, but certainly advocating for them and, and that type of thing uh, really gives me an appreciation for what we can do to make things better. And I don't think you quite have that appreciation until you've, you know, lived it with a family member um, or somebody that you're taking care of. So definitely have, have had some frustrations in those places. And, and uh, that's the, probably the only thing I miss about, about still working was the satisfaction of trying to make a difference for our patients. And to your point, the healthcare CIOs deserve all the praise in the world because all the things that are happening with technology and other mm -hmm. industries, it's different on the impact on the end user that can do things quicker, that can get their, they can access their bank through their phone. But right. the actual people that are sick or in need of care and your efforts and your team's efforts have a direct impact on actually that person's well-being. So it's, mm -hmm. I can understand how gratifying of a feeling that must have been going throughout your career. Most definitely. Absolutely. So as you've gone through your life as a CIO and you've risen up the ranks going from director to VP and doing some consulting work and then becoming CIO a few times, you commented with your experience about digital transformation on my LinkedIn post, which I greatly appreciate last week. Um, and you talked about how digital transformation is something that's such a big challenge for CIOs, regardless of industry, because the business leaders that don't fully understand technology and the implications of what needs to happen to make a digital transformation occur, they think it's a great idea and they want to accelerate it, but it puts CIOs, especially in the midsize, in a tough spot to be able to actually make it happen. So from your experience, what do you think are some of the big challenges that are facing CIOs today? You know, I think certainly the, the rapid pace of technological change has always been a challenge and continues to be so. And I think that it, you know, technology grows even uh, more rapidly now. You know, I, I worked, you know, let's say 30 years in um, healthcare, and uh, I could tell you some really funny, interesting stories um, about, you know, the early days and how we did our work and, and that type of thing and the technology that we used and compared to now. But, you know, that's always going to be a challenge is how fast things change and will you already be behind the curve when you get your latest implementation done or technology change or whatever. I think even greater than that probably now, of course, is cybersecurity. Okay. Um, when I started at my last organization, to the director of IT's credit, he had gotten approval for a, you know, a single analyst position to take care of cybersecurity. And you know, I was like, well, that's great, but I think we need to expand on that a little bit. And you know, to the organization's credit, I can't say that I ever received any great pushback on you know growing that part of the organization you know i think that's going to continue to be a challenge i mean we can't even you know you can't even fill your car with gas sometimes yeah <laughs> if there's a cyber attack you know so that you know that's just the the thing that probably keeps most cios up at night the most but you know probably bigger than all of those things again is making huge investments in technology 
and having to ensure that the technology is adopted and used effectively to solve the, the problems that you were facing that led you to implement it in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, probably every, every place I've ever been, CIO is probably still working on that. Um, yeah. You know, still trying to, to get the, the digital transformation that they anticipated happening as a result of new technology and that type of thing to actually be realized. Um, and that kind of goes back to the comment I made, you know, on your post, which is um, always been a challenge, always will be a challenge. You know, may- maybe when every uh, nurse and doctor that's, you know, 25 or 30 years old today is, you know, in is my age or older, um, which is 39. Um <laughs> You know, when they're in their late 50s or early 60s, you know, maybe that will be different. But then mm-hmm. again, we know with the technology, how rapid technology changes, you know, the things that that all of the younger workforce are doing today, they'll be not wanting to learn the, the things that are coming along. So it's it's a constant challenge, I think, to, to really realize the investments that you make. Absolutely. That's something that we're hearing nonstop all the time. We often hear that, you know, having a strategy in place is great, but a strategy is just a piece of paper. And I had an yeah. old manager um, that used to say, no one gets fired in the planning phase. It's always, <laughs> a, it's always in the execution phase where things start to hit the oh. thing and you need to make changes. So hundred percent. I mean, I, I guess the interesting thing is that now it's the, the, you know, the CEO or the C, you know, it used to always be the CFO who would be stressed about the implementation because it impacted revenue cycle or it, you know, it caused a cash flow issue or, you know, that whole, whole type of thing. But now, you know, the, the, the CEO is going to be right in there. Of course, they're worried about the finances, but they're also worried about, are we providing medications to our inpatients appropriately and safely? Are we protecting our patients' data wherever it's being stored? Could be anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, are we, you know, making sure that when we're at the patient's bedside in their home, which was my last organization, you know, the vast majority of our care was provided at the patient's home. Mm-hmm. You know, are we doing it securely, appropriately, effectively? I don't think that's ever going to change. Um, I, you know, I'm sure we could sit down 30 years from now and talk to another CIO who would say, biggest challenge is realizing the digital transformation after the investment, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's technology, people, resources, whatever that you put into that. Yeah. And it sounds like from what you were saying, that one of the reasons why this is such like a big hurdle to get over and the biggest hurdle to overcome is because technology has become so invasive in a positive way, not invasive in like mm-hmm. a negative connotation, but right. become now a part of not just IT's day-to-day operations, but every single aspect of the company's operations, like nurses and doctors are now using technology all the time, like with medical right. records, things like that, finance, HR, they're using their own systems and technology. And these are departments that weren't as tech savvy in these groups mm-hmm. and how their day-to-day operations were run. It was mainly manual processes. And so now it's getting over that hump of, this is now how we use technology and then once you get them up to speed and ready to use the old technology, you roll out something new and now it's a whole nother beast. <laughs> to 
Well, and you know, I, I joked with the CEO at my last organization that it was kind of sad that COVID was actually a driver of technology adoption more so than anything he or I had done, you know, in the almost five years that I had worked with the organization. When I arrived there five, five plus years ago, I said, we're, you know, geographically, we're spread all over the state yet we have people coming into the office to do training or to participate in meetings. And I'm thinking why, you know, I had come from a consulting company. We lived on zoom. Yeah. And so I said, you know, let's, let's do zoom. And everyone just kind of went, you know, what is she talking about? (laughs) And so, you know, literally within, you know, the first week of COVID we had negotiated a zoom agreement and we're rolling it out for all kinds of things that we had never dreamed of using it for 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 you know temp- temporary use of to, to be able to provide telemedicine visits to yep. you know i mean it's just you know doctors that never wanted to do anything with telemedicine suddenly were saying why don't i have this technology on my phone y- yesterday And so all of these things that we had wanted perhaps to do for years, we, you know, rolled out in weeks because COVID forced us to, in order to survive. So it's, it's interesting, you know, adoption is a tricky animal. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can have models and guides in place, but you're working (laughs) with humans, everything is different. Right. Different per person. Absolutely. So appreciate you going through that. I'd love to get from your perspective throughout your career, what are some of the big lessons that you learned along the way? I'm sure that you learned thousands, millions, insurmountable numbers of lessons, but I'm sure that there are a few that have stuck with you over the years. So I'd love, I'd love to hear those. Yeah, I think, you know, there's obviously a few that have stuck with me over the years. Certainly, you know, what I talked about earlier in, in terms of being a part of a team with the other senior leaders, but leading a team, um, which is your IT teams. And, and uh, I think that leading that team is probably the most critical thing you do. And I'm not talking about, you know, what technology they use or, or all of our apps cloud-based or, I mean, none of those things. (laughs) It's all about, are you providing opportunities for your team to grow and learn? And, you know, one of the things I learned early on, because I always had to advocate for training dollars in our IT budget, was that, you know, money is a short-term motivator for people. Even work-life balance is not a short-term motivator, but, you know, less motivating for most people that work in technology than learning. You know, the director of IT at my last organization, um, we bought, you know, we subscribed to some training software this guy listened to it every day on his commute back and forth to work. He's, he's a unique individual, very, very mm-hmm. smart, but wanted always to be smarter. Wow. And so I think, you know, that's, that's a lesson as a leader that you have to understand that people in that work in it, 99% of them probably are most motivated by the opportunity to learn and to use cool tools and, yeah. you know, and, and most of them, by the way, want to work smarter, not harder. 
because it's the way their brains work. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, giving them something that makes their work more difficult is not exciting, <laughs> but helping them with tools and really listening to what they need. And you can't always give them what they want, but I think that's a big, you know, big item, I think, and that I learned over the years working with people in IT. Probably the second thing I learned that has stuck with me. And I mean, I, I, I think I, thought that I knew this early in my career, but I certainly had it brought home to me in later years, is that you can always learn to be a better CIO, even from a bad CIO. You know, in consulting, I worked with a lot of different CIOs and and you form a judgment about that CIO because, hey, I was a CIO and, you know, um, but in reality, every single CIO that I've ever worked with has taught me something. And I guess that's the big thing I took away. And when I left Cape Cod Healthcare was really to be self-aware and understand where you can always grow and learn. And, and, um, and by the way, the things that worked for you 15 years ago might not work today because guess what? Your workforce is different. And so you have to also learn what motivates your, your workforce and, and what, excites them about what they're doing. And that's probably how I came to the first thing, the first lesson, which is, you know, understanding that they're motivated by growing and learning and and being challenged and always, of course, being appreciated, which is a big thing for them. So I think, you know, understanding that you can always evolve and grow, you know, that's, and honestly, I find myself, you know, looking at things on LinkedIn and still reading you know, blogs and healthcare um, articles and thinking, oh, I'm going to have to try that the next time I do that. Forgetting that I'm not going to ever do it again, but um, (laughs) maybe I will, I don't know. But uh, so I think that that's a, a, a big lesson is not thinking that you've somehow arrived as a CIO when you're a CIO. All you've done is, you know, started the next journey. You have so much to learn about your organization, about your teams, about the work that you do and how things, I mean, things just constantly change. So you have to be a lifelong learner to be a CIO. That's a great tip. And I think to your first point about really knowing your team and knowing what motivates them, the continuous learning aspect is something that's interesting to me. And other than that subscription service for those learning tools and those podcasts mm-hmm. or whatever the sessions were. Are there any other recommendations you have for other CIOs that are out there on here are either ways that you've tried to instill learning in your workforce or maybe some of those new ideas that you read on LinkedIn that you said, I might try this, but I'll never be in the role again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you learn the most and the best from your colleagues. You know, I always was a big believer in for, for healthcare IT executives, um, you know, the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives is a great organization. The reason I liked it, it was, you know, it was open to people from all different size organizations. So, I mean, I I still keep in touch with some of my colleagues from that group. Um, I learned so much from them. You know, I think trying to stay current is almost impossible unless you uh, depend on the people that are doing what you're doing too. And so I think that's a a key thing. 
The other thing is you can't just restrict your learning to IT because you have to know all aspects of the business. So I can remember sitting down with, with our CFO when, when I first started at, at chapters and saying, I need a couple hours of your time to review the financials of the organization. So I understand the difference between what you do in hospice and home care compared to my past health systems, which were large, you know, the, the 600 pound gorilla in the health system was the hospitals. And so I had a very good understanding of what a hospital's financials looked like, but I, you know, I knew that they were different in um, hospice and home care. And so I, you know, you're, you can't just restrict your learning to, you know, the business of IT, you have to expand it and really truly understand uh, the business that you're working in. And in healthcare, it's even more complex because, you know, your business also involves, uh, you know, you've got all the back office things and, and, you know, but it's not manufacturing or, you know, insurance where you create insurance policies or claims or that kind of thing. I mean, it's taking care of people and it's very complex. So I think, if, you know, certainly if you want to be a CIO in healthcare, you better learn as much about healthcare as you can feeds right into the, your continuous learner observation for your team. And you're a member yes. of your team. And obviously based on the LinkedIn research you're doing. <laughs> yeah. So with, with all the things that you've had to do, because you've talked about, you've got to lead your team. You've got to stay on top of technology trends, talk about addressing cybersecurity, managing the adoption of digital transformation, like all these things that you have to do. I'd be curious to know, how did you manage your time as a CIO when you're getting pulled in so many different directions? Well, you definitely become a list maker. And and boy, I guess I wish I wish I could say that I thought I was expert at time management. I would say I was mediocre to um, improving on mediocrity. <laughs> uh, because you know, if you just work a 12, 12 hour days and you try to cram everything in and you know that's not effective time management. But I would say that I think I improved over time, you know, and I think most uh, really effective managers of their time are very productive, yet have a pretty good work-life balance. I mean, the CEO at Chapters, he was, I thought, amazing at it. And when I would say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm overwhelmed and I have so much going on. And he'd say, and you're in control of that, aren't you, Cheryl? And I'd be like, you're right. So, um, so I don't know that I'm the best person to give tips and tricks, but I, you know, I did learn probably in the later years of my career to be much better about focusing my time on the highest priority items. It's very easy to get, you know, sucked into something the organization needs you to do. And yes, that's important, but, you know, making sure you focus on the highest priority items always and then, of course, the other items as well. But um, I think I got better at that over time and certainly had to encourage a lot of my staff to think that way, too, you know. But you do, you know, you, you have to do all everything. You have to make sure you get all of the HR things done that they want you to. You know, you can't just simply not do performance evaluations. I, re I know this because I tried. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I didn't. 
But um, anyway, I just think, uh, you know, working hard towards learning about how to balance things and, um, you know, and really prioritize the highest items. If you have no prioritization done, then you're just going to, you know, you're just going to sink. So project management skills, I guess. Okay. Uh, you know, I, boy, that wasn't a very good answer, but <laughs> no worries. you can see that that's, that's a challenge. Um, you know, even in, uh, even in retirement, it's a challenge. But sometimes I, I, sometimes I get to the end of the day and just say, what did I do today? Not a darn thing. So. Oh, good. I think the list maker tip, I think that's definitely one that is a, that is a good recommendation to have. My mom, yeah. she's never been a CIO, but boy, does she love her lists and she always yes. makes sure that she gets them done. And then she goes through at the end of the day. All right. I well, did nine out of 10 things a day. I know I'm starting my day with number 10 tomorrow. That's right. And I, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, it's, um, it's, it's a little, it becomes a little more complex than that. Um, but I would say I always tried to focus on um, doing anything that removed roadblocks for my team, because okay. let's face it, I was only one person, but however many people you have in your IT team, you know, whatever the roadblock is for them today, whether it's, you know, another employee or, you know, a vendor or uh, just they, you know, can't solve the problem that they're trying to deal with. You know, the more you can focus on removing their roadblocks, the more productive your team is going to be. And so, and I guess that's how I approached it too, even with, you know, meeting, we all have bosses. And, you know, when I met with mine, you know, he didn't have all day to, to sit and go through all of Cheryl's problems. So again, prioritization of the things that he could help resolve or give me advice on how to do better or change or resolve on my own, then, you know, those were the things we focused on as well. So, you know, I wouldn't suggest that anybody become, whoops, <laughs> a CIO <laughs> if they don't want to, you know, work hard and, and work some long hours and weekends and all of that type of thing. But I do think it's manageable if you focus on your high priority items and, you know, your inbox will never be empty, even the day you retire. <laughs> <laughs> I used to say, even when you die, but I like even when you retire better. That sounds good. That sounds more appropriate for where you're at right now. Yeah. Yes. Your background's on the beach. So I'm sure you're getting flooded with emails, even, <laughs> even chilling by the ocean. <laughs> yes. Great. Well, I think that's great advice. I think focusing on removing roadblocks for your team, because obviously you're one IT group that's responsible for these problems to resolve. So the more people you have working towards these problems and create roadblocks for them, ultimately it's going to help you manage your time and their time better. So I think that's a great answer. Yeah. And I think asking them, what are their roadblocks? I used to find, find out weeks later, days later, months later, whatever, that they had been struggling with something, yeah. another department, a vendor. And uh, I would be, you know, I would just say, you know, that's no, don't do that. You know, that's my job. That's my role is to support you and, and help you either find solutions or, you know, remove a roadblock or escalate something with a vendor because, you know, not only was it frustrating them, but it was frustrating our um, customers, our end users, yeah. our patients, whatever. And so, you know, yeah, you have to ask them because 
people will work really hard to try to resolve something without asking you for help. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes you just got to say, what can I help you with? Just open that door for them to say, mm -hmm. yeah, like, that's a great tip. I think all the listeners are going to appreciate that. So now you said, don't recommend becoming a CIO for anyone who doesn't want to work long hours, doesn't want to work <laughs> weekends. So for that, for that crazy bunch who are either current CIOs or wanting to become CIOs, I know I got a few questions and they wanted to pick your brain on recommendations that you had for them. So the first one, before you became a CIO, what mm -hmm. were some of the things that you worked on to help put yourself in a good position to go for that CIO promotion? I think, you know, every one of us comes at whatever position they aspire to from a different angle. In my case, you know, my undergraduate degree was in business administration with my major being computer information systems, which basically meant I graduated and became a programmer. I won't tell you the name of the languages I programmed in because they would mean nothing to you. But, you know, one of the things I focused on when I first started was, you know, you really don't know any business at that stage. I mean, I knew banking because I had worked as a teller during the summer, but, you know, I wasn't becoming a programmer at a banking organization. I became a programmer at a defense contractor. And so the first thing, you know, you have to do throughout your career, but also as you, if you want to get to the CIO level is you have to make it your business to learn the business. You know, even if all you're doing in your first job out of college is, you know, adding a column to that report or, or to that analytic that they're viewing on the screen or whatever, you need to understand the business behind it. And I think somehow I fell into that very early in my career with some great mentors who understood the business, you know, at a much deeper level than I did. And interestingly enough, one of those people I worked with throughout almost my entire career. Wow. And he was, and he was a mentor through my entire career and knew more about the business of healthcare than I probably still know. <laughs> And if you can seek those people out and find the people that can help you learn the business, that's a great starting point. I mean, I worked, I was 24 or five in my first director of information systems job. And I was working for a 26 year old CFO who was brilliant. Wow. And I picked his brain for everything possible during the years that I worked for him. And, you know, he went on to be a CEO at a health system. And so, you know, those are the people you want to seek out because it's constantly, you have to broaden your perspective beyond I'm a programmer or I'm a help desk person, or I'm, you know, even I'm the director of information systems, you know, whatever the role is that you have, you have to expand your knowledge of the business way beyond where you think you need it to be in order, I think, to get to the CIO level. And then of course, underneath that is, okay, I was a programmer and I really had to learn about technology infrastructure and also learn how to hire really good people to manage that for me, <laughs> um, which kind of leads to the HR skill set that you have to have to, you know, men mentor staff that have a far deeper knowledge than you do of technology or programming language or, you know, whatever it might be, cybersecurity. 
because certainly at the CIO level, you'll never have the in-depth knowledge that these people do in each of their specialty areas. Yeah. And so, I mean, I would challenge you to find a CIO that has, you know, that level of knowledge, but you have to understand what they're doing in order to be able to direct them, lead them, challenge them, you know, that type of thing. So certainly I started as a programmer. I had to expand way beyond that to understand, you know, what were my PC techs doing? How did I recruit the right people for that role? What combination of skills, you know, fit that the best? So always broadening the scope of your knowledge. And, and then I, I think a strong focus on, on um, human resource management and understanding, you know, how to recruit talent to, to be ready to move into that leadership role. Okay. So for the aspect on broadening your horizons, because we talked earlier, CIOs have a crazy amount of things to do on their plate. Mm -hmm. And so based on from what I'm hearing, it sounds like the most efficient and the best way to broaden your horizons and get that knowledge is instead of having to go in alone and do it all, all the research and stuff like that on your own, look at white papers, look on Google, look wherever. Oh, yes. The best way to do it is to actually meet with those people that have that business knowledge in your own organization or outside your organization and pick their brain and get their perspectives on it. 100%. You know, I think over the years, you know, I looked for ways to do that and, and places to find that information. I mean, everything from as, as simple as, you know, reading the uh, HIS Talk blog that's been around for, for ages to know what's going on in the industry, you know, who's acquiring who, you know, what are the rumors out there in the, in the vendor space, you know, all of that kind of thing to a very sophisticated relationship with a, a partner who has that information available to them. So I think that, you know, there's a, there's a lot of arrows in a CIO's quiver that you can never minimize the, the role of your colleagues, of partnerships with vendors, you know, mentors in your career lifetime. All of those things come into play in, in helping you along in a CIO capacity. Yeah, using the resources you have and getting creative with what resources you have at your disposal you just haven't tapped into yet. Yeah, and one of the things I always, I always uh, made sure of was whoever I was working for, and and I've worked for all different types of leaders and organizations. Um, you, you need to be able to learn from your leader, okay. and. You know, I've had both circumstances where very frustrated or learning just a huge amount of things that I can take to my role. And I didn't stay very long usually when I couldn't learn from the, the person that I was working for or the people on my senior leadership team. Makes sense. And it goes back to what you talked earlier about your team wanting to be continuous learners. And mm -hmm. you're, you're the same. If you're not in a position where you can't constantly right. get, learn about the things that you're wanting to, then obviously it's time to make a move. Well, I know that we've got some leaders um, out there that were want to ask questions because they come from a more technical background. So from your perspective, with someone that's got, you know, decades of experience in IT operations, security, a little bit of project management, for them to get more advanced down the business track of thing and get into more mm -hmm. IT leadership roles, what recommendations would you have for someone like that? I think that 
you know, and I'll use the example, I've mentioned him earlier, the director of IT at my last organization, probably knew the business better than anyone else on the team when I first started there. And in fact, helped me tremendously learning about the organization when I, when I first started. And I think, again, it comes back to him being willing to look beyond, um, you know, I mean, this guy could sit and stare at his computer all day. He would have been happy. You know, I used to say, you have your head in a rack, you know, <laughs> and, and he'd say, you know, and I know he was very happy with his head in the rack, but he made the effort to learn from his colleagues, to learn from other people in the organization. Everybody knew him because he was front and center out in front of problems or challenges, you know, anything and, and would learn and listen to it, not with his, you know, technology hat on, but with his, um, I just need to understand what these people are trying to do perspective. And so I think the, the advice I, I mean, even coming from a programmer standpoint, you know, I, the advice I would give the people that are very techy, but mm -hmm. want to transition into this other world is, you know, have a healthy dose of respect for your colleagues that don't know everything that you know from a technology perspective and appreciate what they bring to the table. You can help them. They can help you. In my career, I've had some of my techies, particularly people that worked on interfaces and that type of thing, be very frustrated with nurses who worked in IT who they said, you know, what value do these people bring to us? You know, they don't even know how to test an interface. And I'd say, but you don't know why we need that interface. You know, you can learn from this nurse or this lab tech who works in IT or, or the, you know, PACS administrator or, you know, what, whatever the role is, you can learn from them about the business and you can teach them about the technology side. And Interestingly, I found the clinicians worked a lot harder at learning about the technology side than vice versa. So not, not always, but yeah. on many occasions. So I think uh, make a friend and your colleague who comes from the business side of the world, you know, whether they're a nurse or whether they came from payroll or whatever, you know, whatever they know about the business side of the organization and really work at that relationship and learning from them and understanding the business in that way. And there's no better way to learn it than, you know, it's great to go get whatever degree or your, get your master's or get a certification or whatever, all good, firm believer in it. But you'll never learn as much as you learn from your colleagues. I'm doing it, yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. I love that. And do what I did, which is if you can't be a nurse, give birth to one. <laughs> And then learn from her. <laughs> there you go. Some good parenting advice for any of There you go. Parents. You know, yeah. have smart offspring. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Coming from a 39-year-old retired CIO. There you I go. know. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing that I could have a, you know, 30-ish nurse who just got her MSN in clinical informatics. There you go. There we go. Well, make sure you send along our congratulations here. And you're right, it is it is miraculous, a modern medical <laughs> miracle. There we go. Technology, like you said, pace of it, pace of technology always changes. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Well, last thing here before we part ways here, 
just for any of the CIOs that are out there, from your experience, what recommendations, other than what we've talked about already today, what recommendations do you have for them to get better? Boy, I'm, you know, I'm probably going to sound like a broken record here, but the only way you can get better is to be open to learning. And I think to, to be very self-aware. And there are different things in your career that will perhaps lead you to be more self-aware, but I think no matter how good you are at what you do or how bad you are at what you do, if you make an effort to really be self-aware, I mean, and I've been very open about the fact that, you know, the one time in my career where um, the CEO and I parted ways, his decision, not mine, was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me in my career in terms of making me truly reflect on, um, you know, it's very easy to say, well, you know, we just didn't get along or he didn't know what he was doing or, you know, and even if all of those things were true, there had to be something that I was doing or not doing that led us to that, you know, parting of ways. And I think it made me much more self-aware as a CIO or as a consultant or any of those things that I did after uh, leaving that job that made me much more self-aware and understanding of ways to improve and be better. So when we talk about CIOs being better, I think it's a lot of it is, um, you know, looking at what you're doing and understanding that, you know, the way you did it five years ago or 10 years ago might not be still relevant in today's world or the thing you were doing to, to motivate your staff maybe didn't get the results that you were hoping for and you need to change the way you're doing it. The culture of your organization doesn't support the way you did things at your last job. So how do you change what you do here to better fit the culture of the organization that you're in? You know, so it's constant self-awareness, reflection on what your team is doing, uh, looking at how, you know, do you have the right people in the right seats? all of those things to, to constantly evolve and, and become better at what you do. Incredible. Incredible. Thank you so much for going through all that. I, I appreciate it. Any final words before we part ways here? No, I mean, I appreciate uh, having the opportunity to, to talk with you. I, I was worried that maybe I didn't have anything to share after five months of not really thinking about all of this stuff. But, you know, it's, I think uh, most CIOs would tell you that it's pretty ingrained in you and you always want to be making a difference, whether it's, I mean, I'm still looking for what's, what am I going to do in my retirement that makes a difference for people, you know? Um, and that's very much a CIO's mentality, I think. So I appreciate having the chance to talk to you and, you know, dust off some of the cobwebs. <laughs> <laughs> of course, absolutely. And I think that with your pursuit of wanting to help out others in your retirement life, I think that the lessons that you talked about here and just sharing your experiences over your career, I think that's going to make a difference for a lot of people and whoever takes a listen to this. So I want to thank you very much for that. You're very welcome. Wow. What a conversation. Cheryl's input on the biggest motivator for IT leaders is something that can truly make a difference for many teams in the future. Her recommendations on effective ways to build business acumen by engaging with your peers across the organization to learn how they and their function tick were great. 
it was very cool to hear some real-life examples of how she was able to put these lessons into action throughout all aspects of her career. If you have any recommendations on who you'd like to be featured on the show next, please reach out to me through LinkedIn. I'd be more than happy to chat. Thank you again so much to Cheryl for taking the time to discuss. Thank you all so much for listening, and I'll see you on the next one.